Welcome to Hunting Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is a podcast for you. I'm Joe Bayer here with Clint Flowers. And Clint, we got a good show today. We're going to be talking about something that always signifies the start of hunting season, and that is dove hunting season. It's coming up. It's right around the corner. There's going to be some changes in Alabama this year. Uh, but we're going to be talking, you know, in depth, some tactics, talking about some dove field setups and different plantings and things you can do. It's a little late if you're hadn't planted yet, but uh, there's still some things you can do to have a good dove hunt this year. What y'all's plan? Are you going to do a, a field at your place or you just got a bunch of hunts planned? Uh, I've got a few invitations I'm hoping to, to take advantage of, but we're planning to do something. My, you know, my initial plan was to use the pea patch niche that Daniel put me on. We planted about 20 acres of it. And I'd hope to get it through dove season and try to make a dove field out of it. But the deer don't seem like they're going to let me. They are uh, it's definitely doing its job. And it came up a few feet, and then they have just kept it six, eight inches or less, you know, the entire summer. So I don't know what my plan is, but I've got to come up with an alternative soon. Well, it's going to be a weird year. Typically, when I think about dove hunting, I think about football playing on the radio in the background. It's going to be a later start for football season, and it's going to be an earlier start for dove season. So I just, man, I hate it for the doves and the deer and, and the wildlife this fall. If people don't have football to latch on to and, and take up some of those afternoons, they're going to be doing a lot more hunting. And I think we're going to see a lot of deer killed. It's going to be a lot like uh, turkey season. It's going to be hard on those critters this fall. Yeah, I, I was having that conversation this week with a landowner. I, I definitely think there's going to be more hunters in the woods, which, is, you know, that's a good thing. And I'm hoping it'll bring some new hunters to the landscape for us. Yeah, I think so as well. Well, folks, we're going to get into that dove season update and some tactics a little bit later. Before we get there, though, we got to go down and talk to Brandon Simpson with First South Farm Credit and get this week's land loan market update. But before we do that, let's hear from this week's show sponsor, and that is Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. Celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash blackbeltbounty. All right, let's get that land loan market update. Brandon Simpson from First South Farm Credits joining us this week. Brandon, welcome to Hunting Land, man. I know we've uh, we have seen a significant increase in interest in the land market since COVID hit. From our side of things, tell me about how things have changed for you guys uh, in, in the land loan market. Are y'all seeing a, a big time uptick? Yeah, Joe, we certainly are. You know, uh, you hear the stories of the bumper pull camper trailers flying off the shelves and people spending more time outdoors, and we're seeing the same thing on our side with the land business and uh, being having opportunities to be able to finance land for more and more people. It's really been surprising at how, despite everything going on, the demand has been extremely high during 2020. Before we get into those those rates and where they are, uh, here we are, you know, third week of August. Tell me a little bit about what factors determine those interest rates. I mean, is it the same factors that determine the residential rates? Well, in my opinion, there's two large variables that kind of help determine where rates are and, and what a borrower would qualify for. Of course, credit is, is one of the main variables, and the other one is terms. 
generally speaking, the, the longer terms you go, the higher the rates get, and the shorter the terms you go, the lower the rates get. And it's kind of the same thing with credit risk. Of course, the better the credit risk, the lower your rates are, and the worse the credit risk, the higher the rates are. We get a lot of questions about the differences in land loans as opposed to residential loans. And you were talking about those terms and how they affect interest rates. Talk to me about what you would call a typical term on a land loan, but also give me the spread on what's available out there for folks that are buying land and want to know what kind of terms they can expect. Well, one of the biggest benefits of the farm credit system in First South is the ability to provide long-term fixed rates. Uh, A lot of your other traditional lending sources only do short-term balloon-type notes to where in the land business, we see a lot of people currently, because rates are so low, doing 15 and 20-year fixed rates. Uh, So therefore, they have the peace of mind of knowing that they're not having to deal with the rate adjusting in some five-year period. So that's one of the biggest benefits of what we're seeing right now with these low rates is people are locking in terms for longer periods of time to give them more peace of mind. Brandon, in today's market, I mean, what kind of current interest rates are we looking at? Uh, In today's market, a lot of your rates are going to be in the mid to low fours with some short-term money, you know, even being in, in the high threes. So As far as a range, if I had to give you a range today, I'm going to say anywhere between that uh, high three to mid four ballpark range, depending on the terms and the credit. But y'all have a a program that affects your effective rate to some extent, don't you? Yes. uh, Of course, the farm credit system is a member-owned cooperative. Uh, First South, we have about 9,000 customers uh, across three states. We have 44 branches, and we are a member-owned cooperative. Each year, a portion of our profits are paid back to our shareholders, which is our borrowers, in the form of a dividend check. Uh, And just for reference, in 2020, based on our 2019 profits, we distributed $19.3 million back in what's referred to as patronage refund checks that go to our borrowers. So, yes, there is that opportunity for all of our borrowers to share in our profits. Brandon, you talked about you know, that's a pretty big number in terms of what you guys have paid back. How does that break down if somebody wanted to look at, you know, their individual loan, their their individual out-of-pocket expenses for the year? How does it break down? Uh, in recent years, it's approximately, let's say, 16 or so percent of a borrower's annual interest expense. And you, you know, have hear things, it depends on each situation, but, you know, it may be somewhere close to a percent reduction in the stated interest rate. Uh, it just depends. Well, either way, you know, we're looking at record, I mean, record interest rate lows when it comes to land right now. And it's the same way, you know, in the residential market. And what I'm hearing in the field is that there's some delays on appraisals. There's some delays on getting some things done just because of how much interest there is in the market right now. What would somebody expect if they were to come in and want to get approved for a loan? How long does that, is that process taking right now? I normally tell people as a general rule of thumb, approximately 30 days. One of the benefits of First South and the farm credit system is, you know, our appraisal process is very quick. Uh, Usually, I say seven to 10 business days. Of course, the title company, they're kind of backed up right now, most closing attorneys and title companies, because they're not only dealing with all these people who are looking at buying land, but they're dealing with finances and things like that too. So sometimes that may take a week or two to get that information back. But once a customer gives us their financial information, typically, depending on how complex the credit is, within one to three business days, 
uh, that's our goal to be able to give that customer a pre-approval answer of whether or not we can do business. And at that point, we start dealing with appraisals, we start dealing with title companies, and the ball kind of goes in their court. And once that job is done, we're ready to set a closing. You know, we always see contingent offers and you know things like that where people are, are making offers subject to finance. And it seems like the best deals are always found for the people that are pre-approved already and can walk in and make a cleaner offer. For those that want to do that, what do you need to really turn a pre-approval around quickly? Yeah, Clint. Typically, information that's needed for most borrowers is going to be things such as, you know, of course, our application, but tax returns, pay stubs, driver's license, sometimes bank statements. Uh, that is some of the basic information that's typically needed. However, what I would strongly encourage anybody to do that's looking to buy a piece of land that wants to be pre-approved is to reach out to one of our 16 branch offices in the state of Alabama. We have 44 branch offices over Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana and speak to one of our lenders, one of our loan officers, and they would be glad to discuss the specific situation as far as the borrower and their income source and also what they're looking at buying so that we can look at tailoring what exactly is needed for that pre-approval letter for their case. All right. Well, hopefully everybody's got those kind of things ready. This has been a strange tax year, so uh, even the extensions are getting extended. So probably makes your day a little longer, Brandon. But speaking of this year, how do you see your guesstimate on where interest rates or activities going for the rest of the year? Yeah, based on what I've seen so far this year uh, and kind of where they're at now that we're here sitting in August, uh, I personally believe they're pretty much going to remain pretty stable and flat uh, through this election. Now, what happens after the election, I I have no earthly idea, but I I do believe that over the next month or two, you're going to see things kind of remain stable. That's good news. They've been going good. Well, there's no doubt that these low interest rates are helping bring a lot of people into the market, and it's definitely helping the land market for sure. And Brandon, we appreciate you updating us on where the rates are. I hope they stay where they are because that's great for everything. And But we'll just have to wait and see. We'll definitely look forward to checking back with you here in the future and, and getting another update going forward. If folks do want to reach out to you directly, Brandon, uh, or anybody there at First South, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Uh, I would encourage them to go online to www.firstsouthland.com and they can look online and look at one of our 44 office locations throughout the three state territory and see what office is covering their area and reach out to that office. However, they are always welcome to call me directly here in my office in Baymanette, which is down in southwest Alabama, and they can always reach me here at 251-580-8678. Again, that's 251-580-8678, and I'll be glad to see if I can help them, and if I can, I'll certainly get them in the hands of the people who can help them. Clint, I want to hit on one thing you said when we were talking to Brandon. It seems like it just gets consistently overlooked. I don't know. It's almost like telling somebody to eat their vegetables, I guess, is the importance of getting a pre-approval. Explain to the folks listening how not being pre-approved costs you money when you make an offer on a property. Put yourself in the shoes of the seller and you get an offer. Everything looks good, except there's this wide open backdoor contingency uh, subject to approval for financing or subject to financing, especially if it's one of those clauses that doesn't have an end date and it runs all the way up against closing date. You really don't have a deal, a deal you can depend on as a seller, at least until that contingency is gone. So if you can go ahead and get that out of the way, you're going to be more motivated as a seller to negotiate the price down to get the deal done that is clean, that has no contingencies other than clear title. They know that when they sign that deal, 
they sign that contract, they've got a deal. On the flip side, if it's got that financing contingency in it, they're not going to negotiate as much because they're going to basically either consciously or subconsciously compensate themselves for having to accept that contingency. Think about it functionally. If you've got a 30-day window to close the property or a 45-day window to close the property, and that financing contingency runs up to the closing date or runs up to just before the closing date, as a seller, if you've got improvements on that property, you've got 10 days, maybe no days, and where you're having to move things out, you're having to move your belongings and your possessions off that property when it's not a for sure thing that it's going to close. It's just like you said, and it's so important because that seller is willing to do more with an offer that he knows is a sure thing. I mean, just this week, I put a property under contract. We had two competing offers. One was a full price offer contingent upon several things. The other offer was 10% lower, no contingencies. He took the lower offer because it was a sure thing. And he didn't want to have his property tied up and off the market and then maybe not close. So definitely, definitely, definitely. If you're thinking about buying, go ahead and that should be your first step is get, and you're planning on using financing, go ahead and get that approval letter. It's going to make you much more competitive when it comes time to make an offer. Well, and at today's rates and terms, you may be able to afford more acres than you think you can, because if you look back historically, today's rates versus let's say more median rates of six, seven, eight percent of the last decade, you know, you've got almost double the buying power that you do today than you did you know, just a few years back. So that's, that's huge. So, you know, you never know, you might get a pleasant surprise and be more prepared. Well, folks, let's get into this week's show. This week on Hunt and Land, we're going to be deep diving into everything that makes a successful dove season. Our guest today is Seth Maddox. Seth is the migratory game bird coordinator for the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries Division. Seth, welcome back to Hunt and Land, man. Tell everybody, you know, what you do with wildlife and freshwater fisheries. Hey guys, uh, good to be back. Uh, like you said, uh, I, uh, I'm the uh, migratory game bird coordinator for Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries. Anything to do with migratory game birds, uh, you know, I'm involved with as far as coordinating those projects for the state of Alabama. Well, the big change for 2020 is that dove season is going to be a little different this year. So when are things starting up? Yeah, we're going to kick off uh, a week earlier this year uh, in the north zone. We're really in both zones, but particularly in the north zone, it has some impacts. Uh, and so we're starting in the North Zone on uh, September 5th this year. So it's the uh, Saturday before Labor Day. Uh, that's a little different from what we've had the past few years. You know, looking at uh, the dates for the for this season, we did a, a dove hunter survey in 2018 to, to help us inform us about how to set these season dates. And, uh, you know, dove hunters, you know, they're pretty specific on what they want. Uh, they wanted more days in September, uh, more holidays, as many holidays as possible. Over the past 20 years, we've opened several different times during the uh, during September. If you look back, uh, probably prior to 2010, uh, we opened probably the third weekend in September. Right around 2009-10, we switched to the first Saturday in September. Uh, and then in the last six or eight years, we've uh, been opening the, the second Saturday in September. So, you know, we had a lot of uh, different opening days. And, you know, that Dove Hunter survey really helped us, you know, hone in on, on what the hunters really wanted. When they wanted to open the season and so we were, were happy to give it to them this year and, and offer some additional days up front and uh, an additional holiday to get out, get out in the field and hunt. Dove hunting is really popular of course in Alabama also in Florida and Georgia as well. 
Do you guys work with the states that surround Alabama when you're setting your seasons? Does it have anything to do? Is it science-based? You just mentioned that you're really listening to those hunters as well. So what all factors influence when those seasons are set besides the hunter surveys? There's a lot of factors that go into it, guys. Yeah. So we do work with uh, with the, st- the states surrounding us. And so uh, doves are managed in three separate populations across the U.S., the Eastern Management Unit, the Central Management Unit, and the Western Management Unit. Uh, all the states uh, east of the Mississippi River, including uh, Louisiana, are in the Eastern Management Unit. Alabama being part of that, we, we meet twice a year to discuss dove hunting and dove topics. Uh, research population. So we set federal frameworks, you know, that go to the federal government for as our recommendations from the states of when we want our uh, dove season to uh, be open. We look at a lot of factors, looking at including the population size, harvest rates, stuff like that. And so that that goes into setting season dates. When we have really high populations, which we've had uh, over the past 10 or 15 years, uh, we have a 90-day season. Uh, with a 15 bird bag limit. Now, if that goes down, the population goes down a little bit, you know, we could get into a, a 70 day season with a 10 bird bag limit. But yeah, we we take a lot of a lot of things into account uh, when setting seasons. That kind of went into account this year too when we moved the season dates up a little bit. You know, Georgia and uh, Mississippi uh, open uh, are also opening on September 5th. Tennessee is opening on September 1st. Florida's not opening until September 26th. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's a very popular game bird, like you mentioned. <laughs> Number one uh, species, hunted species in the U.S., including Alabama. You know, we have about 36,000 dove hunters that spend about 200,000 days hunting each year for morning doves. And so we harvest about 1.2 uh, million doves annually here in Alabama. So we're, we're typically in the top five harvest states in the U.S. So you mentioned that we've had really high populations the last 10 years or so. That trend is continuing into 2020, I assume. What affects that population? And the other question is, is how do you, how do you know what that population is? How are the surveys conducted? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few different surveys that go on. And so there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, you know, weather obviously has a factor into it. Harvest rate has a factor into it. So the number of adults versus juveniles that are harvested, the survival of those birds into the next year uh, so that they have the potential to breed and reproduce uh, goes into it. But we, we get at some of those factors through banding. So we band doves annually. You know, every state has a banding quota uh, in the U.S. Uh, and so here in Alabama, uh, in the months of July and August, uh, we're banding a little over, you know, around 1,300 doves. And so that data, you know, can give us uh, harvest rates and uh, some survival estimates. Uh, and then we also have a, a breeding bird survey. So it's a, it's a survey where you're driving a route along a, a designated route and you stop every so often to take uh, counts uh, and you count the number of doves that you're hearing in those uh, plots. And so that, that gives us the data we need to, uh, to look at the population numbers, the survival, and also uh, the harvest rate. And all that goes into, into account uh, with some, some other factors, uh, you know, including some weather factors. And, and depending on, you know, here in Alabama, we're, we have a really high, a really long nesting season. So, you know, doves are nesting six or seven times starting in probably March all the way through August or September. And so they, they lay, uh, you know, two eggs per clutch and survival is pretty good for the first uh, little bit. But, uh, you know, doves in the wild, they're only, they're only surviving three to five years on average. And so they're not a very long lived species, uh, high mortality rates. 
you know, if you get 50% make it to the next year, that's pretty good. And that's what it's about at right now. So that's that's where you're seeing, you know, these high populations is you're, you're getting a good survivability rate plus a, a good hatch rate off and survival of those young. How much does weather affect the survival as far as rain, you know, specifically rain? I mean, if we get a really heavy rain year. Yeah, you know, it, it depends on how, how bad the storms are. You know, heavy rain can cause the nest to blow out of the tree. You know, they, they build pretty weak little nests in, on, on branches and trees. Uh, and so, you know, wind has a big factor in blowing those nests out or blowing the chicks out of, out of the tree before they're uh, fully matured. Uh, it can cause a lot of damage. So, yeah, if we have a real heavy rain year, you know, it, it can uh, probably cut the survivability by 25 to 50%. It's always been one of the biggest biggest reasons I've always heard from people is or excuses, whatever you want to call it, as far as why we did or didn't have any doves. So good to clear that up. Seth, with the season opening up as early as it is this year, do you expect that most of the birds that Alabamians will be hunting will be resident birds or, or have they started to make their migration at that point? Uh, it, it all depends on the weather. You know, if we get a front here, you know, in the next couple of weeks, from the last couple of weeks in August to the first couple of weeks in September, yeah, we'll probably get some uh, some migrant birds. Typically, you know, if it's it's if it's average weather, we, you know, our migrants don't don't really show up until a little later, uh, you know, mid September to, to early October, uh, when we really start getting those uh, fronts pushed through like uh, the Midwest, uh, Midwestern states, and so. Yeah, I mean, early on is typically our, our, our own morning doves that are, that are residents here in Alabama that, that have raised young. You know, on average, we're, we're harvesting uh, about two juvenile birds for every adult bird in Alabama. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing good at, at producing birds here in Alabama. We have a good population. So it doesn't hurt our population at all that we're, we're harvesting a lot of our birds early on. And then, uh, you know, we're getting some, some migrants to, uh, to help fill in the gaps there. Besides planting a good dove field, landowners here in the southeast, is there anything that they can do on their property to improve the habitat for those resident birds? I mean, it seems like you have those fields that just produce year in and year out, and then you have other places that seem to be very much affected by the fronts and and birds moving in. So I, I suspect that a lot of that is due to resident population. But, you know, do you guys manage on, on the lands that you are managing for doves? Do you manage for resident birds or are you trying to make things most attractive for migrating birds? Yeah, we do. We do for both. I mean, we try to, to manage for both um, because you are like, especially in, in depending on what part of the state you're in, you're going to get uh, your resident birds are going to push further south and you're you're going to get some migrants in. So. Uh, you know, if you're in North Alabama, you're going to uh, you're, you're going to see your resident birds move further south in the state, and you'll get some migrants in from other states. But yeah, so what you can do is is manage for edge habitat. You know, th- that habitat along the field is very important. You know, to have those trees in there that have lateral branches that that a dove can build nest on. Uh, you know, having all the 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 things they need to survive and reproduce young, as far as food resources some water resources and some roost resources, you know, all that is, is key to uh, providing good habitat for doves and a good dove hunting field in general. Well, let's talk about what we can do to attract doves a little bit and, and a little bit of dove field layout. So when you guys are planning, what, what do you find is the best, say, seed mix? You know, what, what do you look for in a field so that it's a good dove field? You know, a lot of factors go into that. You know, you need to start early. Uh, you know, we start in the spring or uh, early summer, 
Uh, you need to do a soil test on your field to see what nutrients it's lacking or what nutrients is needed uh, so that you can properly fertilize that field or uh, add uh, agricultural lime to the field to, to have your best crop out there. For early plantings, corn, sunflowers, grain sorghum, some millets, you know, Egyptian wheat, all those are 90 plus day uh, crops. So it takes, you know, 90 to 120 days for those crops to mature. So you need to be planting those crops in April or May so that they're ready to go by dove season in uh, early September. Some of the other millets you can plant a little later in the year, say June or July, and they have, you know, 60 to 70 day maturation rates. And, uh, you know, those, those can, you can plant those a little later and still have a good uh, crop for doves. Um, those are some of the seed mixes we, we look for. Preparation of a proper soil bed is key. You know, getting out there and disking that up, getting the weeds out of there that you don't want, the undesirable vegetation that's not going to provide any seeds for dove. And then having a water source that's close to a field is also a good key. Uh, you know, that, that helps uh, the doves don't have to travel as far. Uh, it, it's an attractant to them for, for a dove field. So if you have a pond or you can dig a shallow water spot, you know, shallow spot in the soil in your field that you can catch some rainwater in. I've seen where people do some clear cuts on their property where the heavy equipment was in there and left some ruts in the roads. You know, those, those attract, you know, collect water and it's attracted to doves. So, you know, water is a good key. And, and then roosting sources, um, you know, snags is a good, a good way to, uh, you know, dying trees, you know, leaving those standing until they have to be cut down uh, for safety purposes. Uh, you know, doves love to, to sit in those trees and watch the field before they come and land in it to eat. Uh, or having a power line or something like that where they can they can sit up and roost and watch the field before they come down and eat uh, is, is key. Yeah, I've seen some of those fields where it, it looks like a movie set where they've bought the fake dead tree and the fake power lines installed. They got a pothole pond right in the middle. I think they got like gravel piled up in one corner for their crawl and food everywhere else. It's uh, had great shoots on it, but there's no telling what they spent time and money wise getting it prepped. But I mean, it literally looked like they were shooting a movie out there, you know, instead of focusing on. Yeah, and you can, I mean, you can, you can do some of that some with natural stuff. Uh, you can go out there and treat, you know, some undesirable trees that you have with herbicide, you know, uh, drill, exactly. you know, drill a hole into them, put some herbicide, hack and squirt them. You know, you can kill those trees off and they, they'll stand there for four or five years before they fall down. And so you can you can emulate nature by killing some trees and, and providing some roost sites along your edge of your field. Yeah. If you're one of those landowners that, let's say, they missed the planting window, or they're like me, where the, the crop that I'd hope to convert to a, a dove field has just been hammered by the deer to the point that I'm pretty sure there's no hope of that. Uh, what are some legal options that are out there for folks that want to prep a dove field now yeah so the biggest thing to do now you know depending on what you have in your field if you had a crop that failed you can go in and bush hog it if you had a crop that matured you can go in and bush hog it uh, it's legal to, to manipulate anything any natural or or grown vegetation in that field you cannot go out and spread you know uh, seed in the field now that's not uh, not going to grow the option you have for spreading seed now is winter wheat and so uh, you go out and prepare a good seed bed, you know, disc up the, the, the ground uh, so that you have good seed to soil contact and, and you can plant winter wheat uh, starting August 1st at, at 200 pounds an acre. So you don't want to do that too early because you're going to start seeing germination, especially if you have a lot of rain. But, you know, within uh, a week or two prior to the dove season uh, opening, uh, that's when you want to start spreading your winter wheat. All right. I've got a question for you, Seth. 
and Clint probably knows the answer to this, but this is one I struggle with. If you are going to a dove field, how do you pick the best location for you specifically to, to, to hunt? I mean, cause I've definitely been on quite a few hunts where I just wasn't in the right spot. There was plenty of shooting going on, but it just wasn't by me. Is there anything that you look for in a field with regards to how you set up or even for a guy who's running a hunt and he wants to put his hunters in the best locations to choose those stand sites? Yeah, like I said, you know, looking for those areas next to the water source or the power line or the snags, uh, you know, scouting is key. You know, looking to where these doves want to be in the field. Uh, if you can scout from a distance a uh, day before the hunt or a couple days before the hunt, uh, you know, find where these doves want to be. You know, use a good pair of binoculars and stay away, stay out of the field uh, prior to the hunt. You know, any kind of point that sticks out in the field is usually a good place. It depends on the field layout. There's so many different field layouts uh, that it, it's hard to, you know, but those are some, some keys to uh, to finding good places. You know, anywhere the doves want to be is where you want to be because the doves are coming to you. Seth, those are great points. And, you know, I want to wrap up this show really by previewing some of the public land opportunities that are available because you guys do a lot of things for public land hunters in Alabama. So, Tell me, as we're heading out here, what kind of opportunities are available this year and, and what you guys have been doing? I know you got some exciting new things that, that you've been able to do and uh, the Cahaba WMA. And so maybe give us a, a brief overview of, of those public land opportunities. You know, we have 35 uh, WMAs across the state. We're offering dove hunting on 30 of those WMAs. On 16 of them, we have actually planted fields specifically for dove hunting. So uh, 16 WMAs have 37 planted fields. Uh, totaling around 500 acres that we plant specifically for doves. And then we have, uh, you know, 10 additional fields that uh, we have farm contracts on, on these WMAs. So, you know, we we have right at about uh, 5,500 acres for dove hunting uh, opportunities across the state. Uh, you know, some of the better opportunities, like you, like you mentioned, Cahaba is one of the uh, really good opportunities in the state. Uh, they manage those fields really well. It's right outside Birmingham, so it gets a lot of attention uh, there in Cahaba. But, you know, it's it's a lot of reclamation land from uh, mining and gas exploration. And so, uh, you know, those fields over there uh, provide really good habitat, really good open habitat for doves. Uh, you know, some of the other ones we have across the state, we have some up in North Alabama, uh, some really good ones along Freedom Hills WMA and then uh, Swan Creek WMA. And you know, we actually have a, a power line running through some of those fields, which really helps uh, attract doves. You know, we're planting anything from, you know, corn, our millet and Egyptian wheat. Uh, so things for hunters to hide in. We have those those some standing strips, and we'll be mowing mowing some of the crop down. So, you know, we have a lot of opportunities there. You know, it it opening opens at noon on uh, on opening day, September 5th in the north zone, and September 12th in the uh, in the south zone. But yeah, get there early on opening day because these these fields are first come first serve. They'll fill up pretty fast. You can save your spot, you know, as early as you want to, but hunting will open at noon on opening day. Well, Seth, this has been a good primer, and it's good to hear, uh, you know, that there's going to be even more opportunity for, for hunters in Alabama for dove season. You mentioned how popular of a sport this is, and that's why we want to give this extra attention. So this is going to be part one. Next week, folks, in part two, we're going to be talking about the tactical side of dove hunting. We're going to be getting into dove hunting shotguns, some dove hunting gear that you just can't do without. So y'all be sure to tune back in. Uh, we'll be covering part two with Seth Maddox. Seth, it's been, been good having you today, man. We appreciate you uh, coming on, and we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks, guys. We're excited for dove season to open, and look forward to uh, talking with you soon.
Clint, you know, through the TAP program in our GIS team, where you can even identify a property that is an ideal dove hunting property. Yep. You can focus on the percentage of open land, you know, proximity to major water sources, gravel, things like that. You know, one of the things that I really love about dove hunting is eating doves. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that there's a lot more than just bacon wrap, jalapeno stuffed dove breasts out there. What's your favorite dove recipe, man? Bacon wrap. <laughs> yeah i mean it's a good one it's a good go-to but uh i'll tell you what i won't even try to say you just if you are wanting some good dove recipes you need to go over to my buddy hank shaw's website hunter angler gardener cook if you just google hunter angler gardener cook he has got a ton of recipes he does a lot of really cool stuff where you know he's actually cooking them whole and plucking them and keeping the skin on and just some stuff that fancies it up a bit if you're wanting to try and branch out a little bit i know you're you're pretty much a redneck you know clint so you'll just keep it the way you've been doing it hey hank steps it up for sure but if it ain't broke don't fix it for me (laughs) no i i uh i definitely love that recipe but yeah if you're looking for some good dove recipes head over to hunter angler gardener cook folks that's gonna wrap it up this week hope you guys are planning some dove hunts uh with your friends and co-workers and business associates and family coming up this fall i know i'm getting excited about it but as always please be sure to subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast it really helps the show out and if you would like us to email you this podcast each week you can sign up for our email list at greatdaysoutdoors.com slash land to join our weekly email this week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baya and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. With hunting season right around the corner and interest rates at historic lows, now is a great time to buy or sell land. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also, Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. And also, Bay County Armory. Are you looking for a purpose-built AR-10 or AR-15? If you are, be sure to check out Bay County Armory. BCA builds firearms that suit your individual needs. Check them out at baycountyarmory.com or give them a call at 850-832-2238.